Hi, my name is Visha Cadell, and I'm bringing you Behind the Face of Success, a podcast that delves into the untold stories of people that have reached great heights in their careers and the decisions, whether good or bad, they took to get there. Music connects and unites people, but there's no denying that the music business, and in particular DJs, have had a rough ride since COVID. With real-life events reducing and less opportunities around, DJs have had to diversify themselves so much to think outside of the box and create new ways to have a sustainable revenue stream. So for this episode, I wanted to invite friend and amazing DJ, Crystal Rocks to come and talk to me about her journey in becoming a well-known DJ, but also how she's taken her career to the next level in challenging times. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Crystal Rocks is a London-based DJ and producer. She's recently released a new track called Authenticate, which she's released with international dance powerhouse Ultra Labels. Crystal's love for dance and the energy that she brings has seen her perform at festivals all over the world and alongside the likes of Fatboy Slim, Groove Armada, Basement Jacks and Craig David, just to name a few. Her music has also played on the biggest radio stations. And I'm so excited to speak to her today because there's one thing I know about Crystal is that you always get an honest and authentic conversation with her. Hello, Crystal. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks for asking me, Alicia. I'm really grateful to be here. Well, I want to start off by finding out a little bit more about your life growing up. So who did you want to be as a kid when you were growing up before you became the person you are today? So I remember being really inspired by an artist called Anastasia, who's still massive now, pop singer. Mostly because she just had like this ferocious voice and like cool glasses and leather and solid abs. And I was just like, yes. So like her, she was definitely a massive influence early on. I love the record so much and I still love them now. Um, me and some girlfriends, like whenever we're having a down date, we'll just send each other an Anastasia song and blurt it out at the top of our voice. For me, like also someone like Joanna Lumley, early on and especially now mostly early on I was really inspired by female comedians so like French and Saunders, Dawn French, Joanna Lumley, Ruby Wax basically those sets of comedians and the Spice Girls plus Anastasia were my go-to whatever they were doing I was like I'm in. (laughs) By the way Joanna Lumley, I still remember well the version of love of her is the absolutely fabulous version which I still watch to this day just because she's just like so blasé about everything and it's so brilliant isn't it yeah yeah she says the stuff that you think but don't say as that character is really clever exactly yeah I know so talking about Anastasia interesting like star role model I love her music as well you were obviously really interested in in singing and that part of your world right Definitely music has been the common thread for my whole journey and please God may it continue. Like I started, I trained as a as a dancer and a singer and an actor. So I did like a diploma in musical theatre and dance and did that for like the first 10, 15 years of my professional life. And yeah, I grew up around music. So when it came to like, you know, it was like extracurricular dance school I just went as often as I could because I just loved to dance and I loved music. And 
actually think also I probably grew up in a really powerful period of time for music because it was um, really unashamed. It was like, it's just pop. I grew up in pop music and around it. And, um, you know, off the back of the 80s, which was also amazing. So it was very natural for me to go into dance. And then I just did that for as long as I could. Um, yeah, it's just that's been the common thread. And then like the evolution to becoming a DJ, which has so many, like when I've seen you perform and you are a performer, I've seen you hyper crowd. I've heard you like bring in all your, your own style into DJing, but you're also performing. I see you dancing all the time. In fact, seeing you dance makes me dance. So, I, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> tell me about your evolution into becoming a DJ. What was the moment you were like, that's it. That's what I want to do. I think you've just stumbled across why I have a career because I literally, I'm sure that's what it is. I can't not move. It's a problem for me to be stationary. It's a real problem. I have to be moving and dancing, however, you know, that, whatever, however that takes. But the evolution was I finished a show in the West End where I was dancing eight shows a week and then went in to teach at an academy and one of the other teachers mentioned that he was a DJ and I was dating a music producer. So we had a studio in the house and I was learning how to produce a bit and doing loads of songwriting. And it was a natural progression when it came, like it literally was a, a snippet of a conversation that I overheard somebody else say, oh, I'm going to go and DJ tonight. And I was like, I, I, I think I could do that. <laughs> I don't know why I thought I could do it. Because I had zero clue, none. And then what did you do? You were like, yeah, I can do this. And what did you do next? I submitted a mix and a picture, a photograph of me holding a vinyl. This was my experience as a DJ, a photo of me holding a vinyl. And I made a mix on the computer of records back to back and I submitted it and that was <laughs> that was on the Saturday or maybe it was on I think it was early the following week and then I opened a club on the Friday and it was the strangest thing ever I'd never done it before in my life <laughs> that's an amazing story I'm really impressed that you actually had a vinyl and presented yourself that way what was your first gig tell me about that the first gig was a, a venue on the embankment and it was one of those after work venues that did like happy hour things and uh, DJs from Capital and Heart would go and do like the main set and I went and did a set. It was me and Toby Anstis. I actually since have done have like worked out in the gym with him and I've still never mentioned that my first gig was he was definitely there. He was doing the, he was doing the main set and then I was doing the afterwards. Oh, maybe it wasn't my first, but it was certainly, yeah, like early, early. I just went for it. And then once I, I knew the fundamentals of the equipment, I um, bought a digital controller and then I practiced at home. And I just bought a load of records that I liked and I just kept practicing. And I think, to be honest, a lot of why they really liked me early on was because of the performing background because I I like talking to people and I would get the crowd up and they'd request records and I would just be like yeah you know 
that's great and that's great and I had this abundant energy so I just could go for six straight hours I didn't drink either so I would drive up in my little mini to the West End park play for six straight hours finish at three in the morning and um, I did that every Friday and Thursday I think forget now gosh but I did it for the first part of my career non-stop but obviously you found so much passion in what you do and you clearly speak about that so much. And, you know, you have a particular style. How did you find the style that you wanted to be? Because you're specifically dance. So, yeah, tell me about that. I Honestly, I've never really, probably to my detriment, I've never looked for, I just, I just am me, really. That's the only thing I know how to do because I think music is so much a part of me that becomes like the primary thing so I just play records that I love and as a result of that yeah it just comes out comes out of me yeah (laughs) I love that expression comes out of you but you also do other things too so you've got your own brand you support so many women so many female DJs so Talk to me about why you started that, when you felt the need to bring more female DJs to the forefront. Again, like I I was touring internationally for Ministry of Sounds. There was one specific trip that really hit home. I did a tour of India and when I used to tour for them, I'd be sent like a bag of production that you would then take on the plane and meet a promoter the other side and it would have like, you know, CDs, remember those? and whistles and lollipops and lighting for the club and stuff. And I toured India and I was playing music that I could hear on the streets, in the slums, as well as in the club. And the disparity between the culture was so big, it really hit me. It was like like I had this sort of couple of gigs that just I was never the same again, basically. So the first part of that was that I saw an advert for Plan International who had a campaign called Because I'm a Girl. It was on the telly in the hotel that I was staying in. And it was a beautiful hotel, but you'd open the window and there were like workers just asleep on the floor. And it was like the the poverty versus the affluence was just enormous. And I saw this advert and it was for Because I'm a Girl. And I, oh God, I used to know the the name of the director of it as well. It hit me like a sledgehammer. And I called up the office in New Delhi and went to meet this beautiful woman, Lily. And she showed me around and I just said, I mean, it's really odd even just relaying this to you now because I I don't tell really anybody about this, but it hit me so hard. I just felt I had to do something to help women. And it wasn't so much about the poverty was an aspect of it. I was experiencing the culture because oh, the people that I met there were beautiful and so generous and kind. And the promoter invited me around to his family home and we I had dinner with the family and we were playing like cricket in the street with the kids. And it was just so beautiful. And the club was great. But I, I kept seeing images of little girls on their own, like little four-year-olds, five-year-olds on roundabouts and just driving past. And I was just like, this is mad. Teaming that with the fact that, A, I had a lot of women asking me to teach them how to DJ because... I mean, presumably it looked fun. I didn't stop dancing. So I think it looks quite fun to be a DJ, right? And especially for someone like me who's very bouncy. So I got a lot of women asking me to teach them. 
And I felt quite vulnerable as a woman in music, personally. I didn't feel like I had anyone to turn to or ask, or I had no clue what I was doing whatsoever. I literally couldn't find women to ask help. I actually couldn't. That's the first time that's ever occurred to me as well. There were a few other girls that DJed with Ministry of Sound, but we were all sort of separated because we'd never be on the same gigs. So I knew that they existed. I mean, I had and continue to have painfully low self-esteem and a whacking great big ego. So I just presumed like no one would ever want to hear from me. And I didn't feel comfortable asking for help. And I didn't really know where to turn. It's very interesting because music cracks you open and puts you in a place of freedom in your soul. That's what music does, right? It frees your soul and is a magic and an expression about music. And that does require, the sort of paradox of that requires gentle care and uh, boundaries. And I had none of it whatsoever. I didn't know what I was doing. Mostly I just got eaten alive. <laughs> so it was very natural to me to, I mean, that's not strictly true. I was given a lot of opportunities by a lot of great men and women as I've gone along for sure. But I have felt compelled always to help other women find their path in music and at least create more parties so more women can play. So that's really the sort of start of Superfox. That's, I think, the beauty of Superfox, right? Which is you're helping facilitate more of these opportunities for other women, which is something that you really, really care about. Oh my God, I literally can't do it alone. I have tried to hold people hostage. (laughs) In the nicest possible way. For example, the most beautiful thing that happened was very early on, I used to go to West End DJ to buy all my equipment um, in Tottenham Court Road. They were just brilliant. They were so generous with like showing me what I would need. And I, I bought various bits and pieces over the years. And and I remember, again, like someone sort of, sort of said to me, can I teach them? I was like, there must be a female DJ teacher. And they knew of this girl Samantha Nelson, who has become a firm friend and comrade in the journey of Superfox. And she has a DJ academy in a production space. So we created three courses. And then every time it it happened, I would send someone to her. And as a result of that, we would then end up giving that person a job because we'd teach them, or she'd physically teach them. And we'd always identify what music people loved and what was the the style that they could technically the technical ability to match the style is different sometimes vinyls uh, are the are the best route sometimes it's more digital mostly everything's on usbs nowadays i didn't start using usbs i started by lugging around sound cards and cables and all sorts of things and yeah wow (laughs) i just did a lot of like i used to travel with like seven sets of phono cables it was a bit mad So the tech side of it is what was really powerful and remains really powerful because technically, if you can demystify technology, it becomes really empowering. And I think for women and music, the connection between the emotional connection with music and a technical ability becomes really powerful. And that's very, very special. So that's what we do with the school. Oh, wow. That's incredible. 
And, you know, that's got me thinking a little bit about just jobs generally, because, you know, you and I met over, we met for lunch, I think, ages ago. As the time we were coming out of lockdown, I think, and we were talking about the music landscape right now, you know, live events were reducing quite a lot, really did affect types of jobs you can get. And, you know, you were thinking about diversifying yourself and you were thinking about, because you also know how to do yoga and I suck at yoga. So I'm impressed that you do that. But how did you start to think about opportunities during really challenging times like COVID, which really affected the music industry? Well, what initially I did was to just take things online. So I was offering, gosh, I was offering workouts, workout mixes with instructors that I'd worked with before. So Superfox has kind of evolved into like a female talent agency. So we have like a list of wellness experts who we've partnered musically and they would then do a workout or something in wellness or interviews on the radio and all sorts of things, mentoring the next generation. But one of the things we did initially was to do workout mixes live and we partnered with Ibiza Rocks and my partners at the time were JD Sports so the three of us offered this sort of community of women sharing workouts and mixes so that was the first thing we did we did that throughout the lockdown I continued to do a live radio show on a Friday night from my flat so I would be live in the mix and presenting and interviewing someone on Instagram live like we did Emily Sanday and Heather Small and Gosh, all sorts of women. It was fantastic and slightly mad. So I did that. And then I was teaching yoga every morning online for free at 8 a.m. Well, between Monday and Friday. Just as a way of A, not going mad myself and B, helping other people not go mad. And actually the feedback I had from my building, I was living in Shoreditch at the time and we were teaching socially distanced on the roof and people were like, you know, we were doing this for a long time. And they were like, they've ne- their bodies had never felt so good. I've never stopped. That's the part of my problem. I will always find a solution. It might take me a few rounds of slamming my head against a brick wall to find it, but I will find a solution. So them telling me the clubs were shut was ridiculous. I can't even think of a, of a better word to, to, to summarize all that. It was essential, but it was really difficult to navigate. We just came up with other ways. They were all digital, radio, online teaching yoga classes, online workouts and workout mixes. I upskilled production. I was writing music. The actual business of music is like a hundred emails with one reply. So by its very nature, it's a very overpopulated space with not very much opportunity which is why Superfox is great because we give more opportunities out so there was plenty to be doing is what I'm trying to get at and then I also did a lot of work on myself I remember that time actually I remember that time because I was following you on Instagram and I just you know you did a lot and it's funny isn't it because in during that time during COVID during lockdown we ended up adding more and more stuff to ourselves and then we did so so much, you know, if you think about all those things that you've just mentioned, it's yoga, it's doing radio broadcasting, it's doing working on something else, doing the super fox stuff. You've actually just like spun off about four jobs <laughs> during this one time of, of COVID. And and I know that you knowing you really well, I know that you are always like you've got so much firepower behind you. 
how did you find the balance? How do you stay uplifted? How do you stay inspired? How stay motivated to do all of those things? Gosh, during that period of time, and I said this to my old housemate the other day, who actually is the A&R for the record label that I'm signed to, and we were laughing about how we used to do like four-hour walks and it was like coffee and croissants from whatever, who were, you know, it was like whatever we could to just be moving and walking my point is like that's how I process anything and to stay energized or nowadays is quite new to me but I am more grateful for moments to be slower because actually what I've discovered is is by slowing down is the efficiency increases this is true of you know I, I teach a yoga class once a week and a box and things like that and the muscles themselves need time to rest and repair in order to become efficient again I wasn't I don't traditionally do that and I had to really look at why that was and what because it was driven by a lot of fear and this incessant urgency to achieve and to create and it comes from the right place but if it's fueled by fear it can be really detrimental So a lot of that now, in order to stay energized, is the marriage between that and rest. And I used to really struggle to sit, you know, at home on my own. I had to always have music on or or movie on or be on the phone to somebody or be doing four or five things. I'm certainly some type of neurodiverse. And if you could ever get an ADHD appointment, I'm sure I've I'm sure I'm riddled with ADHD, but I'm most efficient when I am doing multiple things. My journey now is to learn how to harness it and slow that down so I can actually be not even just efficient, but in order to be up, it requires the equal and opposite down. It's like Newton's third law. Every action and reaction has a, oh God, I've forgotten the quote, has an equal and opposite reaction. So if I'm up, joyful, doing five different gigs, radio, blah, 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 five meetings, this, that, and the other, then that needs its equal amount of rest. So in a short synopsis of how I do it, I sleep more than I did before. And I try, I do a lot of yoga, meditative yoga. I am curious with like awareness and the light of awareness. So when I feel the pull or the fear or whatever it is, I slow down and I breathe into it. I'm quite disciplined with meditation because when my meditation practice is good, the energy levels are more consistent and are able to, it's just meditation allows you to have a very, have the correct framework for mm, life. (laughs) That's my experience. (laughs) Oh, I love that you said that because I've been trying to practice some like mindfulness to slow myself down. And I really like the way way that you actually talked about slowing yourself down, because I think, well, I'd love to know your perspective on this. Do you think that we're moving at such a fast pace because of the expectations of other people versus or expectations on ourselves? Because I feel like everyone I speak to is moving so fast They don't do that, what you're talking about, which is time to rest, meditate. It's like we have to keep going all the time. Yeah, well, from my experience, it was my speed was often fueled a lot by fear and greed and ego. 
So I was a thinking that I can definitely change the world and I can definitely create all these ways and revenue streams and I can play all this music and do all this stuff. And whilst there's truth in it, unless it comes from a place of humility and gratitude for what you already have, you're missing the point because you've, if you've sped away so quickly, we only ever, Eckhart Tolle says this, the best of anyone, but it's all about the present moment. You have to come back remembering there is nothing in the past, there is nothing in the future, there is right now, using your six senses to awaken an awareness of the now is all we ever have. So whilst it's admirable, if you like, or, or you know, dreamy to have this lovely idea of the future of a successful business and everything else, these are great goals to, to work towards, to be inspired by. But nowadays, I am as inspired by the leaves on the tree outside my flat, as I am by a record, as I am by a girl showing up for herself, as I am by an almond croissant, as I am by, like, there are so many different ways to enjoy life. And it doesn't require me to go 1 million miles an hour. The speed, with the exception of this internet connection of life, (laughs) is mental, absolutely mental. I mean, thankfully, I've not ever... (laughs) I've not even been ever sold into a system of like expectations for other people's businesses. I've only ever made my own, which has also got its downside because I am the only person who's accountable. And if the administrative stuff isn't getting done, then that falls on me. I've definitely lost work by being really terrible at administration and communicating properly and things like that. But it's something I work towards now. And it's something that Thankfully, with a growing sense of humility, I come back to a sense of satisfaction of, wow, I am like, sure, these dreams are great, but I'm alive today. And like, when I slow down enough, I go, oh my God, like, my family are healthy. And I've got food in my belly and a roof over my head and the sun's come out today. And, you know, I've got to play some music today and get to chat to Vish. And it's like, in this moment, I'm richer beyond my wildest dreams. So that is, yeah, I mean, that's it. That is all that matters. Awesome. (laughs) I'm glad that you put me in that list of uh, things to be grateful for as well. (laughs) But, you know, there's so much you said in that, which is thinking about being present, being really appreciative. We have so much in our lives that we don't often you know, say we are grateful for these things. And when you remember to be grateful, you sort of remember why you need to be positive. And getting into the type of the job that you are in right now, you've gone through so many different peaks and drafts, try and get there, highs and lows and and things like that. So, you know, if somebody knowing what you know now and where you are at this particular point in your life, if you had to give somebody who wants to become a DJ or wants to become a yoga instructor or someone that wants to like figure out how they want to be a performer of some shape what are the three tips that you'd offer them that has changed so much in the time that I have been an adult (laughs) I would now say anything that robs your peace of mind must go must I don't mean you need to surrender it, but if say, I'm sorry, I do mean that you need to surrender it, but the music career and a business, what I've experienced is I've had to surrender 
so many records that I believe so much in that that don't get heard that I can't get out there and rather than be stuck I surrender and do better next time simply so if somebody is looking to write music to get it out there it's definitely better than it's ever been there are so many opportunities growing now new record labels new parties I mean there's a festival every second day throughout the summer (laughs) there's so many ways to be inspired so what I would say is when the blockages come up which is inevitable in any industry take the lessons and surrender the rest and keep going and that's it if we get stuck in the this is basically advice for myself because I, I find it very hard to let go of things that I'm emotionally attached to But yeah, I would say that that's the biggest advice. Keep doing it. The second thing really is key is to not attach to that art. So if you're going to choose art or something from your heart space as an industry, it's really important you don't do it for fame. It's essential you do it because one must express their authenticity. And there is nothing more than that. If I believe in that higher power in the universe. And if the universe wants to line up ways for you to express that music by perhaps distribution or live gigs or collaborations, then the universe will do it. But you must be in your alignment of the why. Ask yourself why you are doing it. I really had to stop. And the gift of the pandemic was that stop and work out why you're doing anything at all what is the intention behind the action and if the intention is I want to uplift others I want to allow creating a space for other women to have their voices heard that's not bad that's a lovely intention like yeah great crack on (laughs) just don't get sleep that'd be the third advice sleep I think we all need to sleep a little bit more. Peace of mind is quite hard to get, no? Because you kind of look at comparisons and I know comparison is not a great thing, but it does happen. How do you stay away from comparisons and terrible social feeds or things like that? Yeah, I'll be really honest. If the first 15 minutes of the day goes to Instagram, I may as well have swallowed toxic waste. It's a very, it it takes great discipline to be a free spirit because I teach meditation, for example, and I hope that I can operate from an honest space. That does require, you know, to communicate only the joy is what I mostly choose to do. And every now and again, I will pepper in something that's really resonated with me that might be useful to another person. But to not go into toxicity with social media, I come back to gratitude. I come back to reminding myself how lucky I have been so far and how full I am right now in the present moment. And I need not attach to anything because as I am right now, I am perfect as I am, as are you, as we all are. So people's careers in the same way as their cars or their holidays or their families. While sometimes it might ouch, hurt, I try to take that little thorn and realize it is to be inspired by, wow, everything then becomes a muse. Everything becomes a museum in your world. Like your whole life can become art 
if you can see that everything is there for your greatest opportunity for growth. And it takes a lot of reminding myself of that because, you know, I want everything yesterday and I would love to be playing on massive stages all the time. And that's not necessarily what's happening, but I have had incredible opportunities and I'm, and I continue to have some beautiful things happening. And so for that, I'm just immensely grateful in my heart. And so I come back to that. I come back to gratitude. We just talked about the fact that we've gone through a massive transition in our lives. We've live events had produced quite a lot. So this is like a really interesting point in your life where you're trying different things and then those big stages are going to come back because you are made for the big stage. <laughs> in my opinion, that's where you need wow. to be. But, you know, you, you talked about self-awareness and not a lot of people have a lot of self-awareness. And we often make mistakes. I make plenty of mistakes. And I'm just curious to know, do you feel like there was a time in your life where you've had a failure or something where you've had to bounce back for it? Oh, yeah. Like in the pandemic, I had a sponsorship deal with JD Sports and then they shelved all their marketing spend. So I had moved into a flat that I could no longer afford and everything that I had been building up until that time went everything. And it was a slog between, it had been a slog for about, I guess, three or four years because as I said, I've not really worked for anybody. I've always sort of created something in my head, like worked out ways to make that happen. It was a lot. It was like a shock absorbing. As I'm remembering it, it, I remember the feeling of going like tremendous fear of like financial fear and tremendous fear of like, well, now I am not relevant and I haven't got the finances and I don't know how to start again. The people that were working with me, I couldn't pay. Thankfully, they were kind friends, really, and they were fine. And then we all were in the same boat. But it just took time. Thankfully, things like, again, like, thank God for great women, because like, a really good friend of mine, Sam Hall, Goldie Rock, she's a DJ, and you all probably know, and she connected me with her, one of her agents, and I ended up DJing in restaurants for when when restaurants opened. And yeah, I was in and out of like Gordon Ramsay's restaurants up and down. And then I was putting the girls in there too. We ended up doing loads of work. So whether you are in fear or not, life is moving. It's a train that's always rolling. So you can choose to hold back or you can just kind of go with the flow, which by the way is why yoga for me is so important because it puts it's the unity of the mind, body and soul in one space, in flow. And when I can get out of my stuck fear and into movement of some type, whether it's through music or dance or yoga or whatever, you can experience the freedom and you keep going. And look, opportunities come down. I never thought in a million years I'd be doing, I've done warm-up shows for Carl Cox and he's like arguably the biggest DJ on the planet. And that's all since the lockdowns. And we've got another show coming up and I've got this new radio show and we've got a platform every week for another female DJ. And what I really know 
or what I really know to be true in my heart is that there are a million different miracles available to every single one of us. Your only requirement is to stay in the present moment and surrender your fear. That's it on repeat. And it will come up in different guises. Your fear will wear a different hat and you'll not really, you'll not realize it's your still, still your fear at first, but it is, it's just dressed up as something different in a different hat. So once you surrender that, you just have to jump on the universe, jump on the train. It's going without you. You might as well just jump on board. I have to remind myself this a lot. So yeah, I hope that's useful. I do find that useful because I think fear does drive you. But when I went away, I was um, my friend kept repeating that to me. She had found this quote about fear. And when she talked to me about fear, I was suddenly thinking, what's the worst that can happen? And when you do... And you come out the other end, it's exhilarating, isn't it? Because you've tried something new, yeah. but you've allowed yourself. And I don't think a lot of people allow themselves because of because fear can take on different shapes and forms and not everyone's quite strong in that way. So I think that is an amazing piece of learning. Oh, thank you, hun. I mean, I have had to, I have done it the hard way. I had to, in the pandemic, got sober from everything and stopped and looked at the whole of, and continue to look at what these fears are that are rising up in me because I can't medicate with anything other than meditation and nature walks and and it's a much better way to live. Now I can be in my truth. It's certainly not easy, but any version of this, if you want to live a honest, truthful, passionate life, as I do, it requires me to be honest all the time. And I need to, I need to have an awareness about what those fears are. And actually the fears are like, is like a roadmap. So wherever the fear is, and it's the gift that keeps on giving, because as I say, it will turn up in a different hat. And you're like, I thought I dealt with this. And it's another thing. It's just a bit of a moustache. And it will just, it's there again, but that's the direction. You don't have to live life that way. But for whatever reasons, I seem to be on this path of, oh, there's another fear. I'm going to have to deal with it, go straight through the middle of it. You know, it's very useful to know that that fear is there for your growth. When you look at those simple principles, because it can get so overwhelming, you have to come back to this, keeping it simple. What, what, is, what am I being shown here? I'm being shown that I'm afraid of money, for example or I'm afraid that I'm a failure or whatever. I go, okay, well, I'll just sit with it. I'm going to hush that away. I'm going to sit with these fears. Like, I don't know, I always have this vision of like a, a dining room table like I'm at now. And you'd, you'd have like, you know, you'd invite the fear around, but you wouldn't feed it. So I can acknowledge it's sat at the end of the table, but I'm not going to give it a dinner. That does make sense. That's a great way of saying that because a lot of people do think about those fears as imposter syndrome and then it stops them from doing stuff. And what you're talking about is I'm just going to acknowledge it and then I'm going to rise above it. It's there in the room, but it has nothing to do with me. And that is incredible. You know, you've got, we've talked about your social media before because you've got a job to do. It's your shop window. But this, what you're talking about is so important to uncover because, you know, someone might be looking at your Instagram feed, for example, and just going, wow, look at her with new tracks out, always like on shows and doing this and 
all the different ways that you're sort of embracing your life, but they don't know about these struggles that you're talking about. And how do you find that balance between being who you are and being your professional self as well? Because I don't see you talking about this a lot. Yeah, and I would like to do more of that, to be honest. I think that's why I continue to build the platforms with Superfox, because I know I speak to a lot of women who don't have the outlets or the confidence or necessarily the communications around this um, work. But, I mean, acceptance is the key. And a lot of this is what I've learned in sobriety. It's like accept everything as it is without an exception. It's like levels of living. So once you've accepted something, pandemic, financial insecurity, fear of not meeting a partner and dying alone with cats, that's a big one for me. (laughs) That comes up all the time. (laughs) See, now already we've identified a fear. You and I can move in together. (laughs) I live with you now. (laughs) Exactly. You see, and it's like we just have to accept everything as is. And then take loving, kind action towards ourselves from an honest space. And then the miracles start to drip feed into your world. That's, I've gone down a rabbit hole again, but yeah, that's basically my experience. No, I love that you said that. And also you've invited me to live with you in the future. So I've got this on <laughs> record. So no matter where you go. <laughs> I'm joking. Exactly. You know what I've really learned? We are yeah. all the same. This is why it's so important that we have a growing awareness of one family, one love, one heart. We are one. And your fears are the same as my fears. Everybody's fear is fundamentally the same. We're very lucky that we live in a part of the world where we don't have war on our doorstep. But my gosh, a four or five hour flight away would be a very different situation as we know. So it's like, This is why I have to root it back down to humility and gratitude and acceptance because I would then go, well, I'm going to go on a crusade and try and save Ukraine. And it's just ridiculous, insane. But what I can do and what we can all do is be the change. We must be the change. And so that means for me very unsexy things like doing my accounts, going to bed before the new day starts, no drink and drugs, thank you very much, you know, being in alignment with honesty and I think it's really important to acknowledge to your point that we're all going through similar issues we might not talk about it but you're not alone and it's Mm. really really it's almost like lifts something heavy off your shoulders when you remember that everybody is going through similar problems it's not just you So I think that's an important takeaway from that as well. You know, I think you're very successful in everything that you've achieved. You clearly, clearly show that. But if you had to summarize your success in three words, what would those be? (laughs) To summarize my success, what I would say, freedom, resilience and energy. I don't know if that makes sense. But I would certainly say I can measure my success today by my freedoms and the fact that I can use my body and I can walk out into the street and I can put food in my belly is mind-blowingly free and, and liberating. And I take that as success because it's because of the endeavors that have allowed me opportunities to stay free, really. And the resilience, yeah, is 
as I say, it's at the table, but I don't feed it. Like I'm okay with being afraid. I just choose more loving paths now. And that, that's resilience. That is resilience. That's what keeps me doing music. Even though it's, you know, as I said to you, like 100 emails, one reply. And you're like, but I've written this beautiful song and nobody's listening to it. Please listen to my song. And it's like, okay, you don't want to listen to the song. Just surrender the song and figure out another way to express yourself without any attachment to the outcome. So that takes resilience and energy. I mean, I've just been blessed with a, I don't know where it comes from, to be honest, but I have a natural abundance of energy and and I'm very grateful for it. And we're grateful for it too. Just want to say thank you so much because I have a lot of gratitude for you taking the time out and just sharing so much of this. It felt so honest and authentic. It just felt like you and me just like chatting over a coffee, which technically this is, I suppose. But thank you so much for your time (laughs) and sharing more about you in the way that you want to express it because I think you would have helped so many people by doing that and being so honest. Oh, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you asked me. And I would just take a note of um, the fact that my fear, you see how I come off as very confident, but the fear was so strong, I nearly didn't do it because I thought I would have nothing to say to you and I would be just an example of failure. And by me stepping in that space with somebody who is compassionate like yourself, it has allowed more freedom. So the path is the fear, if that makes sense. I completely get it and I appreciate you. So see you soon. See you soon. Appreciate you. Hello. Thank you for listening to Behind the Face of Success. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. If possible, please can I ask you to rate, review and subscribe to these podcasts as it actually helps more people find them and look out for the next episode next week.